Welcome to the OA Light a Candle Meeting Podcast. Visit our website at www.oalaig.org where you'll find three separate speaker feeds with over 300 <coughs> speaker files, links for, your, for you to subscribe to the podcast, and a place where you can donate to keep this special service active. I would now like to introduce our speaker for tonight, Ariel T. Hi, everyone. I'm Ariel. I'm a compulsive overeater, bulimic, and restrictor. Hi. Hi. Thank you, Michael, for asking me to come here tonight. Um, I am so grateful. Um, I have a, a little gratitude list that I say every night before I go to bed. And the first thing on the list is thank you, God, for my life. Thank you for my health. Uh, the second thing is thank you for the love of my life of being in a healthy relationship. And the third is, thank you for my career, for being self-supporting. All three of those things I did not have before I came to this program. Um, my my entry into OA, I would thank God, was on my knees. I, I literally was crawling into this program. Um, I'm the oldest of three girls. Um, grew up on the East Coast. My parents were hippies. Um, We moved around a lot. My father was a drug dealer. Um, He sold marijuana. And over the years, he started selling more and more and more marijuana, which led us to just moving around a lot, phones tapped, like this sense of paranoia, which I didn't know anything different. I thought that was normal. Um, Also, what I thought was normal was the difference between how my parents ate. My mom was a restrictor. Um, She was a compulsive exerciser. She now has her own um, fitness company back east, so she gets to do that all day, every day. That works for her. Um, My father, you know, was checked out um, with with drugs and alcohol. Um, But he is Italian, 100% Italian. So every Sunday it was major, major food. It was literally like eight courses of entrees, um, followed by dessert. So growing up, it was really confusing to me because my mom in the house had a very restrictive kitchen. There was no butter, there was no soda, there was no, like, yummy cereal. Um, But then on Sunday, we'd have this, like, total, like, gorge fest. So I didn't really know what was the right way to eat, what was acceptable, what was not acceptable. Um, all I knew is that my mom was always kind of, like, nitpicky about, you know, what we were eating. Um, I got very sick when I was eight. I had uh, appendicitis, and I went into the hospital, um, and I got an infection. And so they had to bring me back and put tubes in me and, and drain me this whole kind of episode. I was in the, I was in the hospital for, for a few months. But the long and the short of it was that I actually flatlined. There was a moment where um, I had a, you know, a near-death experience, you know, like they talk about the white light. At eight years old, I, I had that experience. I, I saw a white light, and it was a, to me, it was a female voice, and the voice said, it is not your time to go yet. You have something very important to do. And I came out of it, and um, my father was there. My mother wasn't. And I said, Dad, did you hear that woman? Did you see her? He's like, no, sweetie, you're under a lot of drugs. And I could see his face was just, like, soaked from tears, you know. Um, and I, at that moment, I had this 
spiritual experience, but I didn't know it. At, at eight years old, I just, I knew that something strange had happened to me, and nobody believed me, and I couldn't really talk about it to my friends, so I kept it to myself, and, and the underlying feeling was that there is something beyond this world, that when you die, you're not alone, and I carried that into my disease. You would think maybe um, in a beneficial way, but of course, my disease turns everything upside down. So to me, I was like, well, I don't care if I die because I know that there's a, pl- a better place than this. Like, take me home, you know? Like, this world is so painful. I just want to be away and, and, and home. Um, and that really, from that point on, I um, I was sickly and thin, and, and my mom would pay attention to me because I was sick. And that was my way of getting attention in the house, was I was just sick all the time. I restricted my food, and um, by the time I got to college, my father got arrested, and he was uh, thrown in jail. And um, he got the mandatory minimum of 10 years. So at the age of uh, 17, I lost my dad. Um, And I was in college, and... My mom lost her house. She went on welfare. I had two younger sisters that she was trying to care for. Um, so she was in survival mode. And I couldn't express any need at all. I couldn't ask for any help, financial help or, or emotional help or otherwise. And I started going through a lot of anxiety. Um, I started binging purging in college. I didn't really have this idea of, like, overeating until I discovered the purging. It was like, well, now I can just eat whatever I want and there's no consequence to it. In addition to that, it was this exercise of this emotion that I didn't know what to do with. I didn't know how to express my anger. I didn't know how to express my fear. Um, I remember I had this like panic attack and I was on the floor in my dorm room and I called my mom and I said, Mom, please, I need to come home. I'm terrified. I don't know. I don't know what's happening to me right now. But I just, I, I just need to come home. I need to be with you. And she said, "I don't ever want to hear you say that again. You figure it out. Click." So I was like, you know, like the bomb went off. Like in my head, I was like, "I'm alone. I am so alone." And I just, I didn't, I don't know how, I don't know how to do this. I don't know how, I never got the manual, you know. No one told me how to live this life. I don't know how to do this. So I started taking drugs so that I wouldn't have to eat. I tried starving myself to death. That was my plan. And, um, and God had another plan for me in way of my roommates. You know, I believe that God puts, you know, angels on this earth. And I had a roommate that encouraged me to go get some outside help. And it was enough to kind of get me through college. I was still in my behaviors, but in that moment, it saved my life. Um, I got, it was an overachiever, right? Like, straight A's, graduated college early, like, got the high-paying job at the corporate law firm that I, you know, planned on doing. And all the time, I was just maintaining, you know? I was just, like, binging and purging all day, every day. And... I quickly knew I was out of control with it. You know, I, I quickly knew that um, it didn't matter what it was. I mean, it was 
it could be pickles, it could be, you know, a burger, it could be, like, a thousand things all at once. Um, but there was such a huge amount of shame. I couldn't let anyone know the secret. Um, so, it took literally, like, I think about it, all the energy and planning that it took me to hide this disease from my friends and family. Um, I could have, like, built, you know, an Empire State Building with all the energy. Um, and that was the thing. I really didn't have anyone close to me. I didn't have any friends. I don't have any friends from college. Literally. I don't, I, there's no one that I can, like, think of that I could call a friend. Um, and intimate relationships. I had a boyfriend that was, like, miles away. It was very convenient. I saw him, like, every four, four, four or five months. It was like, I got a boyfriend, so I'm unavailable. Um, it was just a, a way of, of keeping space in between me and you. I mean, literally, like, I remember my first boyfriend, you know, embracing me, you know, touching me, and me kind of, like, recoiling and being like, oh, my God, like, touching my fat, you know? Like, I was so insecure. I was devastatingly, devastatedly insecure about um, my body. And, um, and it really it wasn't until in, well into my 20s that um, the disease kind of took me to a place of no return. You know, I could see that it was escalating, it was getting escalatingly worse and worse. I lost my job. Um, ended up marrying someone that I didn't love at all. He was just basically an accessory to my disease. He let me do what I wanted. He paid for my food. Um, and it was great for me. It was like, all right, well, I'm just going to have my food, and you're going to, you know, support this, you know, crazy lifestyle that, I'm, that I have in my head. Um, and, um, and it, I mean, unfortunately, you know, that was part of my men's list, um, to my ex-husband um, for in egging him on by saying yes. Um, that was a huge part of of my my disorder was not knowing which direction to go. You know, we we, we talk about this in um, our step work about. Um, praying for inspiration. You know, when we don't know the answer, we go to our higher power for that. Um, I had no idea that there was a higher power that could help me with any question. You know, to me, my higher power was way too big to worry about my eating disorder. Um, and I can remember so many nights, like, just crying hysterically, like, God, please don't let me throw up tomorrow. I'll do anything. Please don't let me throw up tomorrow. And what would I do? I'd wake up and I'd throw up my breakfast, you know. Just, it was, um, I knew I had absolutely no control over it. And my will was not going to solve this problem. Um, but I couldn't talk to anyone about it. I couldn't, my, my ex-husband. I mean, we were living in New York. We were living in a one-bedroom apartment. And I don't know if you guys have ever seen a New York apartment. They're small. Um, and I was throwing up every single meal. And I don't, you know, he never said anything. It was like, they talk about the elephant in the room. Um, so, you know, later on, we moved out here to L.A. together. And uh, when I said to him one day out of nowhere, you know what, you need to leave. I never loved you. It was like, what? What are you, what are you talking about? I'm like, no, you need to go. You know, this. This, this, this marriage was never anything real. Like, I never loved you. Um, 
so I could be with my food. That was my plan. I didn't have a job. Um, I just wanted to be with my food. So when when he left, um, I realized that, you know, the food wasn't even working anymore. Feeling that God-sized hole, that fear, that panic, that anxiety that I had had my entire life. I mean, growing up in an unstable situation would breed anxiety, right? I guess that makes sense. But to me, I just... I just knew that I was an anxiety-filled person. You know, I didn't realize that this was the way I'd always been. Um, it was just, I was just anxious all the time. Um, so I kick him out. I'm alone with my food um, all day, every day, you know, blinds drawn, spending I don't know how much money on, on it. And one day I just wake up, and um, I was living in um, like a 10-story apartment in a balcony. And I just fixated in that balcony. I was like, that, that jumping off that balcony looks like a really good idea right now. And I just kept saying it over and over and over in my head. I started envisioning myself jumping off that balcony. And I realized I had nothing else to live for. It was like, I want to go home. I give up. Um, and then the phone rings. And literally, it was my ex-husband calling me. And, and I look back on it now, and it was, it was God calling, saying, um, you didn't pay this bill or something stupid and I said why are you calling me right now like you're interrupting this like fantasy right of me jumping off the dog why the hell are you calling me right now and he's like what what is wrong what's going on with you and I said all right I, I have to be totally honest I have an eating disorder I'm bulimic and he said what <laughs> you're what what's a bulimic what are you talking about and I was like I, I need some help. I need help. I need to go into a rehab center. I need, I need to go away because I'm, I'm, I'm about to disclose from taking my life. And he said, okay, you know, I'll help you get into whatever. So that was my path. Is I ended up going to um, a, a recovery center for eating disorders, and I was there for a number of months, and I still didn't get it. I still could not let go of the behavior. My body was so trained Talk about addiction. Um, my body was so trained that I literally couldn't keep the food down because I was throwing up every single thing that went down my throat. Everything came up. So my body didn't know how to keep food down. The other problem was I didn't know how to shop for food. I didn't know how to take care of myself. Basic, basic principle of self-sustaining life. Feed yourself. I had no idea how to do that. I would go into a supermarket and I'd have a panic attack with my, you know, my bags or whatever. I'd just abandon the food in the middle of the supermarket and just leave. Um, so I had to be trained to understand how to eat. I had to be trained to understand just biologically what was going on with my body. Um, but I still couldn't stop the purging. I, it was... The, the emotions were so big, I just couldn't, I didn't, didn't know what to do with them. So finally, the director of the program said, look, like, we're going to put you in a hospital, put you in, you know, hook you up to IVs, like, this isn't working for you. And I said, please, just give me one more chance, just give me one more week, just tell me what to do. So we'll go to OA. I was like, well, always like the God thing. Like, I don't, I'm, I don't do the God thing. It's not, the God thing doesn't work for me. Go to OA. Okay, fine. I'll go to OA. And the first meeting, I just, I bawled the entire time. And I, one woman spoke, and I went up to her after the meeting. I said, I heard about the sponsor thing. I don't know what it is, but please sponsor me. I don't know if I'm going to be here next week. But I'm just willing to do whatever it takes 
to, to, to do this. And, um, and she said, okay. And I started working the steps, like, right off the bat. Um, and steps, you know, one and two, yeah, you know, I, I was powerless. I knew I'd been powerless for years. Um, step two, you know, coming to believe. I had nothing to lose. I mean, hell, yeah, I'll believe whatever, I'll believe whatever you tell me to believe right now. Um, but three, turning my will over. That was a real tough one for me because my entire life I was like in control of my my life. Every everything that um, did or didn't happen was my fault, and um, and so you know I'm just going to read you know a passage from our, our 12 and 12 on step three because it this was the turning point in in my recovery. This was how I. Um, came to understand my higher power. Um, how do I reach this decision to turn my will and my life over to a higher power? How do I do it? What exactly do I have to do? I wanted to know all the answers. Tell me exactly. <laughs> what is the formula here? Um, what exactly do I have to do? It helps to understand that once we make this decision, our, our approach to all choices will be like our approach to our food and eating choices. We will no longer simply do what we feel like doing or what we think we can get away with. Instead, we will earnestly seek to learn God's will for us, and then we will act accordingly. We give up fear and indecision, knowing that if we are sincere, our higher power will give us the knowledge to our best course in life, along with the willingness and ability to follow that course, even when it seems difficult and uncomfortable. Um, difficult and uncomfortable were two things that I would just run clear opposite direction of. <laughs> it's like, just give me the easy way. I want a shortcut. Um, so, seeing that the higher power was able to give me direction, I couldn't. I couldn't make the decisions in my life. I mean, I, I I chose the wrong husband. I chose the wrong career. I clearly didn't know how to feed myself. I mean, knowing what to have for breakfast seemed completely baffling to me. Um, so turning my will over meant trusting that that intuition, that voice, was in there, was in me, by asking for the higher powers help, that there was, there was this, like, divine connection. I had to trust that that was going to happen. Um, and that voice was tricky in the beginning. Like, that, the eating disorder voice came up very often, so I had to be very clear about who was com- who, what voice was coming out of me in that moment. Is this my higher powers voice, or is this my eating disorder voice? Um, and, you know, in the big book, you know, the... It says here we ask for, you know, we ask God for inspiration, an intuitive thought or a decision. We relax and take it easy. We don't struggle. Um, and when I read that, I thought, well, I don't struggle. I don't know how not to struggle. My entire life has been a struggle. Every single moment of, uh, you know, staring a meal down because, you know, this is, this this is not like drugs and alcohol. Like, we have to eat every day. So, um, it, it was a struggle every single day for me to figure out, or, or not to figure out. You know, that's the thing. It's like, my higher power is going to help me make these decisions. Um, and that was really kind of like a far out, 
a principle. And slowly over time, you know, for me, it was a slow trust. Um, I had a food plan. My first year in this program, I had uh, a food plan. I called my sponsor and I turned in my food every day. Um, I had a nutritionist that helped me to know what was healthy portions. Um, and then I slowly started doing intuitive eating. Um, my, uh, my abstinence is no purging and three meals a day. And I don't, um, I don't have sort of a, a red light, you know, food list. Um, I don't restrict flour, sugar, or any of that. Um, because for me, um, my higher power wants me to succeed. You know, my higher power wants me to be a healthy and functioning person. If I set myself up for, um, for failure early on, um, and that's exactly what I wanted to do. When I got to this program, I was like, I'm not going to have any sugar. I'm not going to have any flour. I'm going to have this, like, perfect, clean, like, eating meal plan. And, um, and my sponsor very lovingly said, you know, let's just focus on no purging today, you know. And then it was like, okay, let's just have three meals a day. Um, and that slow and steady is not something that I'm used to. Um, the miracle of, of this program for me is that I have not gone up or down, you know, in weight since I started almost four years ago. Um, I don't know how that's possible. I don't know how it's possible to eat three times a day and not, you know, blow up. Because that's in my mind what was going to happen to me. Um, I don't know how it's possible to not, like, exercise every day and not blow up. <laughs> I don't. I don't. I exercise maybe two or three times a week, you know, half an hour. Um, it's really about a gentle self-love for myself. And um, and although it's really cheesy, what also helps is just looking in the mirror and when I'm having a bad day, just saying, I love you, Ariel. Um, and just keep saying it over and over and over again. Um, because that, I think, really is the core. Is that I'm, I'm just desperately looking for that love. And I, my whole life had been looking to you guys to give that to me. Uh, I'd been looking to my parents. I'd been looking to the boyfriend. Um, and it was never enough. It was never good enough. I was constantly being disappointed. So... When I can feel God's love for myself and, you know, my higher power uh, gives me the ability to love myself, then it's like, okay, I'm good, you know, I, I, I'm good. Like, I don't, I don't need it from you today because I, I have it already. I have it in me already. Um, and then prayer and meditation. Um, I, uh, <laughs> I did a lot of, of meditating and, and yoga when I got into this program and I continue I meditate every day, um, and I'm a creative person in my career, so I see lots of colors when I meditate, <laughs> and, uh, uh, and and that's how I do it. Like I just I focus on the colors, and I just let all of the sort of monkey mind chatter just fall away, um, and just to clear that space because I can get so wrapped in I can get so wrapped into the perfectionism the the laundry list of, like, what I need to do today, like, what am, what do I, and what am I not doing perfectly right now? I can get so, like, obsessed with that negative, um, kind of like, like a slave driver kind of thinking, you know, in my, in my head, I have a slave driver. It's there all the time. And, 
and my higher power is constantly reminding me to just, you know, put the whip down. It's like, just, like, love yourself, you know. And for whatever time that you just can not react, act in life, just just to be quiet. Do nothing. Um, my sponsor tells me that very often. His, you know, I'll call and be like, what do I do about blah, 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 blah. Just do nothing. What do you mean do nothing? Something has to be done. <laughs> well, isn't that true? Doing nothing is something, isn't it? Oh, damn it. You know, she always gets me with those little... Can't, can't outsmart my sponsor, that's for sure. I've tried. Um, so, uh, so the, the, the slow and steady, um, the self-love, um, working my steps, doing, gosh, doing my ninth step, you know, um, terrifying. Um, and I didn't get the results that I hoped for, especially with my ex-husband. Um, but the miracle is that I was able to send him money. Um, I had, I had used up a lot of his, his money in our relationship on food. And so I just, I sent him a really, for me, you know, a really big check and, um, and I didn't hear anything from him. Nothing. Not a thank you. Not a, I got your check. Nothing. And I'm like, you know what? That's fine. That's just, that's what I get today. And, um, and my limited way of thinking about how the world should work, um, is just that. It's limited. And if I trust that, you know, my higher power, my higher power has a plan for me. And, um, and I don't know what tomorrow's gonna be like. I don't know. I mean, somewhere down the line, you can call me up and be like, hey, you know what? Thank you for that check. <laughs> years down the line who knows um but uh but I've found more often than not you know the the surprises in recovery are so much sweeter um I can be you know in the most amazing place you know I can be in you know the most abundant um from the you know outside perspective you know it can look like I've got you know I've got it all going for me but if I'm not feeling it in my heart, if I'm not full of my own self-worth, it's going to feel like nothing. It's just going to feel like, okay, just another day, you know. Um, so my, I, I constantly have to remind myself is, um, you know, the gratitude for the simplest things. Gratitude for my health. Because if I didn't have my health, if I was, you know, if I had my head in the toilet, um, all day, every day, I would not be, I wouldn't be able to, to be doing, you know, what I'm doing today in my life. Um, I've been really blessed with, with a career. Um, and I never thought that I was worthy of having one. I thought that I was faulted in some way. Um, that my people pleasing to my, um, yeah, I think it really comes down to just my, my self-worth. You know, asking for what I'm, I, I know that I am worth. Um, and sometimes it has a price tag. It's like, oh my gosh, I have to ask, like, you know, I have to, I have to ask for money, you know, because I'm doing a service. Um, that was kind of a hard thing for me to do. And I'm slowly getting better at, you know, those things. And, um, and, and, and all of it, you know, it, it all really comes down to, um, like I said, gratitude. Um, I don't know how much time I have left. Fifteen? Yeah. Um, I think that, um, 
I'll just go through, you know, my, my sponsor always says is just go through the steps, you know, and how how I've worked the steps, and then I'll um, I'll open it up to questions um, because the steps is the the action to the recovery. You know, we can um, we can share with one another. You know, we can make the calls, we can go to the meetings, but um, doing the steps is where the actual work and the shame gets sort of lifted. Um, step one, we admitted we were powerless over alcohol, that our lives had become unmanageable. Um, and that is, for me, about letting go of the shame, admitting that I am um, powerless over my life is releasing the grip. It's releasing that um, control that I have so desperately been hanging on to my whole life. It's just opening the fist up and saying, I'm powerless over this. Um, two, came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore our sanity. That's two parts. I'm coming to, I'm waking up, um, uh, being revived, um, in a belief that a power greater than myself, so that's my higher power as I'd want to define it, um, which is amazing because uh, I think my higher power is, is just, it's everything that I've ever needed in my life, but I didn't know how to ask for it, you know, and now I've asked for it. And um, and I'm restored to sanity. Um, I had to know that that sanity was possible. I had to experience sanity. Uh, they say that, um, you know, people come here for the vanity and they, uh, they stay, or they, they come for the vanity, stay for the sanity. Um, I came for the sanity and I stay for the vanity. <laughs> uh, I was totally insane when I came in here. I was about to take my life. I don't know how much more insane you can you possibly be. Um, but the truth is, is that my body hasn't changed. I don't know how that's possible, um, but I, uh, I'm sure as, as heck gonna keep doing what I'm doing because, um, I don't know how it's working, but it, it seems to be working. <laughs> uh, three, made a decision to turn our will and our lives over the care of God as we understood Him. Again, you know, going back to the reading, um, you know, I'm, I'm making a decision, which means that I'm making a choice. But it doesn't mean that I, have to, I actually have to, um, that I have to, thank you, <laughs> that I have to do anything, really. It's my higher power is going to do it for me. Um, me searching if there is moral inventory of ourselves. Getting all the shame out. Just like, it's like popping the zit, you know? <laughs> and admitting to God, to ourselves, to another human being, the exact nature of our wrongs. That's, you know, sitting down with, with my sponsor and letting it all hang out. Six, we are entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. Um, yeah, my defects of character. Goodness. It seems like, you know, when you get to this step, it's like, oh, I can't wait to have my defects of character removed. And then the joke is, is that they all come, like, right into your face, and you're like, oh, gosh, I have to actually really, like, sit, sit through this uncomfortability of this defect. It's like, 
you actually have to do the work for it. Um, so that was a disappointment for me. <laughs> um, so seven humbly asking to remove our shortcomings. That's you know. So for me, it's an ongoing process. Um, eight made a list of all the persons we harmed and became willing to make amends to them. Um, my ex-husband was on the top of that list. Uh, nine made direct amends to people wherever possible, except when to do so would injure them or others. Um, there were a couple of living amends on my list, and uh, and my ex-husband was, was one of them. It's like, how can you treat your, how can I treat my partner today with the respect and love that I should have treated my ex-husband? Yeah, that's um, it's pretty it's pretty wild actually, you know, to change your life to change your life like that. Um, continue to take personal inventory and when we're wrong, promptly admitted it. Um, tenth, tenth, tenth step, uh, yeah, it keeps, it ke- keeps your day clean for sure. Um, it's doing it every single day. I didn't think I could do anything every single day. I mean, that's, uh, a miracle in, in doing that, but it, it seems to work. Eleven, self-repair and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood him, praying only for his knowledge and his will for us and the power to carry that out. In that is such a huge kernel of insight for prayer because I loved to pray and I was praying for new shoes and I was praying to like eat that cake and not you know be in any way I was praying for um you know but I had my Santa Claus God and uh and what really works for me is to ask my higher power to give me the to just give me the grace to give me the the insight and um, the courage to follow that path that's set before me, to be able to see that path. I'm always asking my higher power, you know, please let me just see the path that you're putting in front of me. Um, and 12, having had a spiritual awakening as a result of these steps, we try to carry this message to alcoholics and to practice these principles in all our, in all our affairs. Uh, attraction, not promotion. Um, I'm the only one in my family, I'm sorry, I'm the only one in my family that um, is in recovery. Um, so it's it's been a daily reprieve of just backing off and saying, you know what, I'm going to live my life. And if they they see something that they like and they want to know more about it, I'm you know available to talk about it. But um, I, you know, I, I can't force my family members into uh, recovery, even though I would so want that for them. Um, but. Uh, this is the path of the warrior, you know. Not everyone can do this, and um, and I am just I'm humbled, you know, to be amongst you guys. And it's so nice to have familiar faces in the crowd and um, feeling the love in the room. And I open it up for questions. So how did I discern between my eating disorder voice and, and my higher power voice? It was a pl- process of, of um, trusting, <laughs> and it seemed to me that my higher power was always pushing me in the direction of love. It was pushing me in the direction of, of pause, um, and in the beginning, you know, I would ask my sponsor a lot of times. If I wasn't sure, I would ask my sponsors, like... I'm having this feeling of, like, eating a cookie. Like, what do I do? <laughs> this is this voice or that voice? 
And it seemed like just being able to hash it out with, you know, my sponsor or a fellow in the beginning helped me clarify until I felt that that deep feeling of, you know, this is my higher power speaking through me right now. Now it's actually a sensation that I get. It's just like a warm, beautiful uh, sensation. How do I pray for self-love? That's a good question. Um, how do I pray for self-love? <clears throat> a huge part of that is forgiveness. And, you know, they say, um, you know, you forgiveness is kind of a, a selfish act, right? Um, that you're free when you forgive. And um, I was holding a lot of resentment. In, in my past to my family and um, and I felt really justified in that you know like I had a long list um, but as soon as I was able to see them as, as people as doing the best they can and loving them for who they are and um, not expecting you know this idea of what I wanted uh, freed me up incredibly and you know, even more to the point to self-love is when I can forgive myself because um, that's the, quick, the quickest way to the right action. You know, and instead of getting, like, hung up on, you know, the slave driver, you know, I should have. I could have done this better. Why did I? Um, I can just say, I love you, you know. You did the best you could in the moment. Like you get, you get another, you get another chance to do this right. You know, there'll be another chance, and that seems to help me move forward instead of, you know, keeping me in that negative place. Uh, the question was by the same sponsor and how I work the steps. My journey with sponsordom has been less than perfect. Um, I'm on my fourth sponsor, and. Uh, it has really been um, a, a, a conscious commitment on, on my part to be like, you know what, I am just going to keep reaching out. But my first three sponsors actually left program. So, um, I, and, and the sponsor they have right now is amazing. You know, she's so full of love and support, and, and I feel so grateful. So I say to those people that, you know, are, are struggling with their sponsor or sponsorless, just keep going with it, you know. Just keep putting one step in front of the next, and um, and you'll you'll find that that right match. It's not about having that perfect sponsor. It's really just about getting through the steps. Um, and you know, I've worked the steps differently. I've had four sponsors. <laughs> they all had a, kind of a different way of doing it. Um, so I've done through the big the big book way, and um, uh, I've done a little bit of work through the, the workbook. Um, I've done my four-step, you know, the column way. I've also done it autobiographically. And um, I found, actually, when I did the autobiographical way, it loosened me up. I mean, my path was very kind of restrictive. So it kind of loosened me up to really feel what was behind the resentment. Um, and, uh, and then it made, like, my part in it, like, really real, um, because I, I have a habit of just, like, I can, like, turn off feeling about things in my past. You know, I have, like, this light switch. It's like, I'm not going to feel that one. Um, 
so getting like to really feel those feelings was was really the work, you know. So um so yeah. Thank you. <laughs> Thanks everyone.